0: In John's Gospel, chapter 5, John records the words of Jesus as he confronts the Pharisees. As they had seen the miracles that Jesus had accomplished in the lives of the paralyzed man and heard of the other things that Jesus had done, they wanted to know the authority by which he decided he was able to do these things and he was able to work against the rules of the Sabbath as they knew it. And so John records... This interaction that Jesus has as he begins to help the Pharisees to understand exactly where they missed the mark. Now we know because of the rest of the story that the Pharisees still didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But when we again think about the context for which John was writing and the crowd in which he was writing it to, while the Pharisees may not have understood his words, it is very clear that the disciples who grew up Jewish and had now found a faith in Christ would be able to hear these words and understand even more so the complexities of this faith that they were called to follow. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 5. And we're going to start reading in verse 24, I believe is the first verse I had up there. Yeah. Nope. Verse 25. I was just kidding. If you would read with me, we're going to read verse 25 through 47. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now, and the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life, giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. So don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son. And they will rise again. And those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own for I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me and not my own. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist on his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. For John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness even than John." my teachings, and my miracles. My Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that He is the one who sent me, and that the Father who sent me has testified about me Himself. And you have never heard His voice or seen Him face to face. And you do not have His message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one who is sent to you. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures only point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and to believe this life. Your approval means nothing to me, because I know that you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and yet you have rejected me. But yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. Now wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it is isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? So as I said last week, this is a passage of scripture that I hope for every single one of us that proclaim a faith in Jesus Christ is foundational. The words that Jesus says to the Pharisees here in this passage, I hope when you read them, you go, yes, yes, that's true, yes, we agree with that, we agree with that as well. I hope there's nothing profound here for you to understand and to realize But you have to understand that these words in and of themselves are profound because it is the declaration of Jesus Christ of why he has come and what he has come to accomplish. And so John says these young believers are now without a home, they're now without a people, they're now without a way of life. And so not only do I need to encourage them in the things that Jesus has done, not only do I need to show them and and help them understand the things that Jesus has come, I need them to help them to see the divine inspiration and the divine power by which Jesus is working. So last week we talked about how Jesus claimed to be the Son of God and he says that everything that he does, he does as an extension of the one who sent him, of God the Father who sent him to take on this earthly form, to live as a human in the fullness of humanity, susceptible to sickness, susceptible to tiredness, susceptible to fear and doubt and worry and anxiety. All the things that you and I would experience. And he says, but I come not in my own name, but in the name of Jesus Christ. And I told you last week, today we're going to look at the part that none of us like to talk about where Jesus flips the script on the Pharisees and he says, but not only do I come in the name of Jesus to bring good news, but I also come in the name of God to bring judgment. Judgment is not something we really like to talk about. And usually when the world thinks of the church and they think about judgment, they think of these hoity-toity Christians who stand over everybody else and look down on them and judge their every little action. And the sad thing about that is that's most of the time true. That's usually what we do as Christians. Let's just own it. We do that. It's very easy for us to look at other people and go, well, I don't do that and you do that, so you must be a sinner. But it's very hard for us to understand that we're, we're sinners as well, and that was something that was very hard for the Pharisees to do, and that was something that was very hard for the Jewish culture to do. Could you imagine? They walked around in a world full of people that worshipped really whatever they wanted to, and they were known as God's chosen people. It'd be kind of hard not to do that, wouldn't it? So John uses this passage of Scripture here to talk to these young Christian disciples, these who were called to move from this one religion known as God's people to become one of God's chosen people through the work of Jesus Christ. And so when he talks about judgment, the reality of it is is that is a good thing. And honestly, the judgment that God is one day going to set forth on all of creation is a good thing. And here's why it's a good thing. Because God is a holy God and God created all things to be holy and to be in His presence and experience Him one-on-one. But because of sin, we know all that was messed up. But with God's judgment, what we see is all the things in creation and within people that is not of original intent and not of original design will be done away with. That is a good thing for us to rejoice in. If we plant sod, we don't have to worry about it dying. If we have beautiful sparkly teeth, we don't have to worry about them rotting. If we send our kids away, we don't have to worry about their safety. If there's something that we struggle with that we know is not good, we no longer have to worry about it because it is no longer present. So God's judgment is a really good thing, and the judgment that Jesus Christ says that he now operates in is a good thing. If, as we're going to see with the Pharisees, if you listen to the words that God has said to humanity throughout our existence. From the very beginning when sin entered into the creation, God had one purpose. And that was to point people back to him. And so he begins writing throughout what we would call our Old Testament. And he begins using people and doing things in the life, in the midst of humanity, with one purpose in mind. Now, mind you, the Jewish people at this time knew all the things of old. That was their thing to study their God, to know their God. And, you know, what's crazy is you look at Israel's history, and it seemed like they were the most boneheaded people that ever walked the face of the earth. Like It seemed like they did a worse job of being God's people than the people that weren't God's people at times. But their thing was the Word of God and knowing the Scriptures. That's what they wanted because they felt that in those words was the words of life. And they were right, but they were missing the point of where those words were pointing to. So now John is writing to these young believers, and he's saying, hey, look, here's the deal. I know that your world is completely devastated right now, and you don't know anything that you can hang on to. All the prayers that you're used to saying, all the the things that you're used to observing, all the the people that you're used to depending on are no longer available to you. But I want to show you why perhaps sometimes that's not always a bad thing. For us as Christians, it's important for us to know that sometimes even the bad things in our life are going to be good. That's a weird thing to think about, isn't it? That potentially something good could come out of something bad. Right? Am I right? Amen? So John writes, in the way that he writes, he does a good job of helping these young Jewish believers understand that, okay, here's what you once used to believe in. But here's what Jesus is saying you are to believe in. And so he begins out by saying that he is the the son of God who works with the judgment of God. Again, that's a scary word, judgment. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to be found guilty of anything. And John knows that. He knows that these young believers are sitting here defying everything that they have known growing up. And so they're probably in a little bit of panic mode. That we are—have are, are, we messed up? Are we going to get in trouble for what we are doing here? And so the story continues where Jesus says that I work in the same authority that God has sent me and therefore understand that the work that I do and the judgment that I do, the things that I say are not of God and the things that I establish through God's own authority, those are things that point to God the Father. So what does that tell a young believer who is seeking to follow Jesus Christ, especially one who has just turned away from their whole heritage as one of God's chosen people, that perhaps this Jesus that they're following is the right one. You see, there are a lot of world religions that claim that there is a God. There are a lot of world religions that say the things that we do in our life matter so that we would be able to reach God and to be in the presence of God. But Jesus Christ was the only one that ever came and said that I work through the same authority and for the same purpose that God is, and here's the deal, I have come to do all the work that is necessary for you to be in the presence of God. That is something important, that is something that needs to be established in each one of our lives before we even seek to understand what it means to live a life of faith. That's what these young Jewish Christians needed to hear before they set out living their new life was that Jesus Christ came in the authority of the God that they had spent their whole lives trying to know. And Jesus Christ had done all the work that was necessary for them to be able to be in his presence. That is something critical that each one of us need to understand. But then he talks about that there is a time when everything that has died, when every person that has died, every person that is living will once endure judgment. There's a big fallacy going around the world that at the end of life is death, and death is the end of all life. But if we read through the Word of God, we understand that our time on this earth is only a short period in our existence because God created us to be immortal beings. God did not create us just to experience a few years here on earth and then cease to exist no more to, to, to matter, but He created each one of us forever forever. Meaning that within, within each one of our bodies, there's a soul. There is something more than our physical being that God wants to spend eternity with. But because of sin, we're not going to get to experience that eternity with God. But Jesus says in the same way that I have come to show you, God, I have come to secure your eternity. Amen. A young Jewish believer who, who is afraid of being condemned because they're turning away from everything they know, has just heard that this Jesus Christ that they have given everything up for has guaranteed them an eternity through the authority of God. That should give anybody a little bit of peace and hope, am I right? We should rest knowing that Jesus Christ gives life to those who believe. And we should be okay with the idea of judgment if we believe in who Jesus Christ is. But if we don't believe in Jesus, as we're going to read about the Pharisees, then judgment is something that we should probably be a little bit worried about. Again, I don't know why I chose to drink coffee today. It dries my mouth out and I choke to death. But I'll learn one day when I don't recover. <laughs> so in the person of Jesus Christ, we see that God sent the best of who he was. And the best of what he had to come and to show humanity the way to holiness. And we know that Jesus did that through the way that he lived, am I right? He didn't sin. Even in the midst of being tired, he didn't cuss at the wagon that cut him off. Even though he was frustrated, he didn't throw rocks at his neighbor. Does anybody else do that? Okay. Didn't know. But he says to be, to be quite sure that we understand that he does not work apart from God's plan. So here's the deal. A life of faith in Jesus Christ does not make sense in the middle of the world that we live in. We worship a God and we follow a Savior that tells us that all the money that you make is not yours, that the kingdom that you are building on this earth shouldn't be yours, but it should be the one of God the Father. That when the world says you're to get out of third world settings and to do better for yourself and establish yourself in safety and security, we worship God. Thank you. God bless you. (laughs) That's why we hired him. He's like a Swiss army knife. (laughs) Y'all don't understand how nice it is when i got to set up chairs or something. I just open the door and go, Nihos. I'm telling you, it's great. I haven't had to walk back from the car dealership yet. I forgot where I was. Goodness. I get saved from one thing and lost another. (sighs) I don't know. We're going to move on. Verse 31. So what Jesus tries to do here in this setting with these young believers is he tries to appeal to reason. Oh, there we go. That's where we were at. Okay. So we follow a Jesus that is going to tell us that Even though the world says you get out of unsafe places and you get out of places where security and safety is not guaranteed, because of what we understand Jesus has done in our life, we are to go to those places. But understand that if God calls us to go to those places, we could never be safer and we could never be more secure. Have we ever thought about things in that perspective? Common sense tells us, You don't go into bad places. Crime Stoppers tells us you don't go into bad places. (coughs) Common Sense and Stranger Danger says there are people you don't talk to. But yet Jesus Christ says if you understand what I have done for you, then you are to go to those very places and explain that to the people there that need to hear that. To the people that are afraid every day for their lives, they need to hear that eternity is secure because of what Jesus Christ did. Because of, of people that are wrought with depression and anxiety and fear over the future. They need to hear that through Jesus Christ their future has been guaranteed. So Jesus is te- or, uh, John is telling these young disciples that in Jesus Christ your idea of life and your understanding of your purpose is going to change greatly from what it was. And so he captures Jesus' work in the lives of the Pharisees in this moment right here where Jesus tries to use the Pharisees' own reason and logic to help them to understand. So there's a practice within the Christian faith called apologetics. Um, and, and I'll tell you when I first heard that, I'm like, why are we apologizing? We're the ones that's right. But that's not what it is. apologetics is really just being able to explain the Christian faith in, in a way that people will understand And so these people set out to understand and to be able to use Scripture in such a way that they can help people understand how faith can fit into science and how faith can fit in even in the midst of a broken and messed up world. And so Jesus is actually doing that here where he is using the example of who he is and what he has come to do. And he's trying to use the reasoning of the Pharisees to help them to understand that he has come as the representative of God in the fullness of God, the same being and the same authority and the same purpose to establish God in the hearts of humanity so he uses evidence of the eyewitness of others remember when we started John's book I told you that in Jewish law eyewitnesses were very very important and you could accomplish a lot if you had eyewitnesses we we really don't change that today if a hundred people say you did something yet you didn't do it you're still going to get convicted of it it doesn't matter if you're on a different continent if a hundred people say you did it you're going down Well, it was so much more important back then. So Jesus tells the Pharisees, he said, there are people that have testified of the things that I have done, so you should understand who I am and the purpose that I am. And then he pulls out the card. Remember John the author loved to talk about John the Baptist. It seemed that he began this whole gospel off just kind of uh, amazed and in awe of all the things that John the Baptist accomplished with his life. And so he says, John the Baptist, there you go, a representative from your own people. He was like a candle and a light in the darkness. You know, if somebody lights a candle in a dark room, you can't help but see it. If this room was pitch black dark and one person lit a lighter, everybody would be able to see that light. And he said, the words that John said, you you took as light. As a matter of fact, the Jewish people believed that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Elijah that their Old Testament scripture said would one day come and announce the Messiah. So John the Baptist steps on the scene. He starts talking about prepare the way for the one who will come to take away the sins of the world. And they get all excited. They're like, "This, this is Elijah. This is it. Everything that we have learned our whole lives is taking place right now. But they never understood that when John the Baptist said, it's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world, there was a disconnect there. And so Jesus says, you know, even your own person that you claimed and you were so excited about, when, when he started pointing to me, you you're just like, no, nah, it can't be. It can't be. Have you ever had something happen in your life where you're like, this must be a God thing, this must be a God thing. And then when it didn't end the way that you wanted it to, you're like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> you ever had that? Yeah. Amen? So I'll tell you this. All right, got to tell you a fun story on myself. So Thursday night, I went to Will's ball game in Conway. And I was sitting in the parking lot. And I was taking a drink of coffee, because when you go to Conway, you got to get real coffee. And as I was sitting there, all of a sudden, something hit the back of my truck. And coffee went everywhere, and I jarred around, you know, and here's the deal. I'm very particular when it comes to driving rules. Um, And when somebody hits a parked car, I have have no compassion. And so I I put on my face of authority, and I got out of my truck, and I walked back, and I'm trying to play like, okay, this guy used to be a cop here, but also this dude's got a sweet truck, and you just hit it. And so I had my look, and I'm looking in the guy's rearview mirror like, and I look down and I see my trailer hitch and I see his bumper. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool, you know. And so he gets out and I was like, it's okay, we're saved by the trailer hitch. And he's like, well, you might have messed up my truck. And I was like, I was sitting still, buddy. <laughs> and we start talking and dude hitting my truck, me getting frustrated. And my first response is what we should do as humans is become, you know, justifiably angry. Turned into about a 25-minute conversation about how this guy had been leading one of his employees to Christ. And then that employee spent some time down in the prison in Mariana. And then he got out of prison, he came back and he said, you know, the last thing I ever want to do in my life is go back to prison. And he said, well, hey, let me tell you another way to get out of prison for the long haul. And he began to tell him about Jesus. And I got back in my truck completely humiliated. Because I got out angry. I don't know if dude figured I was angry. I mean, maybe I just had one of those faces that just looks angry all the time. I don't know. But I knew where my heart was. And when I got back in my truck, I was so humiliated that God had taken that moment that I just knew was going to end in disaster and an insurance fight. And instead, it gave me the opportunity to be able to pray for somebody, to be able to meet somebody else that had a, a faith in Christ that not only they claimed, but they lived out. And that's, that's something that we need to be excited about. When somebody is willing to live out that faith, especially with somebody they just met after backing into their truck. And it wasn't one of those, oh, Jesus will take care of this. No, your insurance will take care of it. But God God arranged that meeting in a way. So this is what's happening here is these young disciples had been doing everything that they knew as God's chosen people to get to God. But yet for some reason, this newfound faith in Jesus Christ had just dashed all of that. And God had completely flipped the script on what they thought it meant to be a follower and a believer. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees that you've invested your whole life in knowing these things. You've spent your whole life studying these words so that you would be able to see when God is doing something. And God is before you doing those very things and you're not able to see it. Because you have paid more attention to the legalism of what you are doing instead of trying to discover the faith that it was meant to instill in you. You see, as Christians, that's a very dangerous thing for us. As I told you time and time again, the thing that scares me the most about when Jesus talks with the Pharisees is just how accurate he is about how I am sometimes, about how the the church is sometimes in the midst of the world. That we make it about legalism and laws and following things and doing the right things and looking right than it ever is to establish the purpose of why those things are in our heart. So Jesus just goes all out on these Pharisees, and John is telling these young disciples, Are are you seeing what's happening here? Are you seeing how, how God has flipped the script on you because you honestly weren't even chasing God in the first place? You were following the rules. You were making sure that you looked uh, approvingly to the person beside you and to the people that you wanted to impress. But Jesus said in all of these things, there is only one person that any of this was ever meant to impress, and that was God. But you've missed that, and because of that, you don't even understand when God is doing something in your midst. That is a dangerous place for us to be Christians is when we don't even recognize the God that we claim doing something in our midst. Because the reality of it is, is God is always up to something. And if God's own people can't see what God is doing, how will the people that aren't God's know that He is even around? That's something we need to think about. And that's what John was telling these young disciples is that God is up to something even in the midst of your devastation. Even though your world is turned upside down, God is up to something. Jesus used his own miracles as evidence that he does not work alone from God. You see, there was something different about Jesus. There had been a lot of people that claimed to be the Messiah. As a matter of fact, um, one of the commentaries I was reading said that scholars believe that there was about 63 people uh, right around the time that Jesus showed up that claimed to be the Messiah. There are, are reports and evidence and writings of, of 63 people who claimed to be the Messiah at the time that Jesus came on the scene. That's just 63 that they know of. There's probably quite a few more, I imagine, because, I mean, you get that title and People respect it, you, you kind of get a little bit of authority. But what Jesus tells the Pharisees and what John captures here is that the only difference between Jesus and those other people is that Jesus was actually able to do things. Jesus was actually able to perform miracles and heal people and make things happen that don't fit within the realm of human reasonability and logic. And he said that alone right there should help you to realize that I am who I say I am if you already believe that all the things that your prophet said match up to who I say I am, and the evidence of the things that I have done with my life and my time here give even more proof to that, where's the struggle? Why are you not able to hear it? Why are you not able to see it? Why are you not able to connect it? And he says it's because there's not a love of God in your heart. But these other messiahs that came to be, the reason that they were so followed and so paid attention to is because of the things that they offered are the things that the world says that we want material blessings if you do this then god will give you 10 i'm so sick of those facebook messages if you repost this and send it to 12 people god will bless you with a million dollars i've been doing it for years i ain't got no money yet i'm just kidding i delete it and i block the person because it's annoying and then you can tell when it goes back around because they send it to you again Or they believe in a lot, or they really want some money because they send it like four times a day. It's so annoying. But they would offer power. They would offer authority. They would offer the things that the world says. But Jesus said, I have come to do one thing. Everything that I do is one thing. To point you back to God. The one in which your life was created. And the one in which your existence is given purpose. That's all Jesus said. Jesus said, I don't don't want the glory. I don't want to be the king. I don't want any kind of authority here among you. All I want you to see is that in me, God has sent the way to life and to salvation. And that is all those disciples needed to hear. And John knew that that was something that they needed to remember in all things. And that is something that you and I need to remember each and every day is that everything that we do as believers is meant to do one thing, to point us to Jesus Christ and understand that in Jesus Christ alone is the way to life. You can do your quiet time for 15 minutes every morning before the sun comes up and if it does not point you to Jesus Christ, you're wasting your time. You can memorize the common book of prayer and have all the big words that people used to use that made them sound a lot smarter than us. But if it does not point you to Jesus Christ, then you're wasting your time. We can be in this place every single Sunday. But if we are not gathered in the presence of Jesus Christ and we are not pointed to Jesus Christ from our time together, we are wasting our time. So John tells these young disciples, yeah, life is rough right now. Yeah, there's devastation all around you, and everything that you thought you could depend on is no longer available. He said, but you have the evidence. You have the evidence that the things that you were doing weren't the things that God intended them to do within you. You have the evidence uh, through the person of Jesus Christ that you claim now to follow, that you have called your Savior, that you have given all this up for. You have the evidence that even your Old Testament scriptures say that he is real. Did you know that people doubting the authority of scripture and the, real, the realness of scripture is something that's only about 200 years old? I learned that this past week. More than about 200 years ago, nobody doubted scripture. Everybody took the words of what we would say is our Bible now And they accepted it as fact. It was not something that was doubted. So John is telling these young believers, everything that you have spent your whole life knowing is real. And Jesus is the one that it was talking about. And Jesus has done these miracles that people give witness to. So you can rest in that and you can have faith in that and you can trust in that. So understand even the storm of life right now is going to pass. And it will not determine God's love for you. And your ability to do as good as you can does not determine God's love for you. But it is your belief that Jesus Christ has come to bring you life that will get you through all things. And it is your ability to understand that Jesus Christ brings life, will carry you, to places that the world says that you are not to go. And Jesus will reveal himself to you, even in those places. Will you join me as I pray? Father God, we thank you again this week for John's gospel. God, as he wrote to these believers who had given up everything for the sake of this faith, we thank you for his ability to encourage and to remind and to educate them as to what they had been called to. That it was not a call to a new set of rules. It was not a call to a new way of life just for the sake of looking different. But God, it was a call to life in itself. And when sin had broken and twisted and distorted the things that you had meant for our good, Jesus Christ came to do away with that and to instill within us your original design. And so God, we ask that we would have the faith of those young disciples. That when our world around us crashes and the people that we are used to depending on are no longer available That we would remember that none of that, none of that decides who you are. For you are God, and Jesus Christ, your Son, came that we might have life abundantly and for eternity. So God, we ask that everything we do would be to point us to Jesus Christ the words that we share with another person, our goal would be to find Jesus. The way that we do our job each day would be to find Jesus. The way we raise our kids, to find Jesus. And the legacy that we leave behind to point people to Jesus Christ. God, give us a desire to find life this week. Give us a desire to know your word, to love the truth that is within it, and to hear your message of love for us. God, keep us as your people. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.